0: Hi everybody, you're listening to 15 in 15, a short series of podcasts commissioned by the Association of Contextual Behavioural Science to promote Worldcon 15 coming up this year in Sevilla in Spain. My name is Richard Bennett and I'll be doing 15 minute interviews with some of the movers and shakers from this year's conference in the service of helping you get the most out of it. For this episode, I spoke to Yvonne Barnes Holmes from Ghent University in order to find out how relational frame theory might be represented at this year's conference. So strap yourselves in for the lowdown on RFT. Hi Yvonne, it's really nice to speak to you.
1: Hi, nice to talk to you Richard.
0: I'm guessing that anyone that's familiar with RFT, Relational Frame Theory, will be aware of you and, and Dermot and your work together, uh, but it might be useful just to give you a brief kind of overview of, of who you are and, and what you're about just now.
1: Okay, so I'm Yvonne Barnes-Holmes. Um, <clears throat> th- I'm an academic primarily and I think I'd, um, I really have... Uh, three interests. One is RFT. I'm a basic researcher in RFT. Two is an ACT. I've been an ACT therapist and um, trainer for almost 20 years. And three is really I'm primarily interested and spend a lot of time recently on the relationship between RFT and ACT. How do you build genuine conceptual bridges between the concepts that exist in RFT in in a way that allows you to say, how can I use those concepts to analyze patterns of psychological suffering? And based on that analysis, can that then direct me in any way towards my clinical intervention? So it really is by genuinely connecting basic research concepts with nothing added to them um, and then use that to translate into direct clinical assessment of a person's situation and change of that behavior. So, we tend to target relational responding in therapy um, and then use our techniques to move those responses or those networks around. So, th- this is sort of really bridge building between RFT as a basic research and you know clinical practice primarily
0: ACT. Okay and so this is that reticulation that I hear you speak about from time to time this relationship between RFT and ACT and making that real and genuine and uh, informative in both directions.
1: Yes and you know it doesn't have to be ACT I mean I think RFT reticulates quite well with ACT but in principle RFT as an account uh, can be stretched towards an account of psychological suffering isn't tied to using particular techniques to then change that suffering. If we look at relational responding as the target behavior, it doesn't then say, you know, you have to use this technique to change that. It simply says the really the best outcome for change would be this, but you can use whatever technique you want to then use. So it does reticulate well with that. But to be fair, it reticulates well with many other types of technique that you'd find in, in really any other therapy tradition but then again of course ACT interrelates very strongly with other traditions as well.
0: Great thank you for, for clarifying that so what's your role at the conference this year?
1: So I mean we you know our team will be actively involved in presenting basic RFT research we will be involved again I think as on as the sort of front run, runners of this sort of bridge building between RFT and ACT because that's very important to us And um, I will also be running the RFT track. This is the second year. We had it last year for the first time. Um, And it really was a way of um, not segregating out RFT, but making RFT something that only people who wanted to do RFT could go to the conference and do it. There are people who want to go to ACBS and aren't interested in therapy and they want to learn or focus on RFT. And we wanted to create a track where they could do just that but at the same time we wanted to create a track that allowed people who are clinically interested to step in and out of this bridge building exercise that we're doing so one way that you can accommodate both audiences is to create a track a very specialized track that you can then identify these talks are for people with a clinical interest these talks are more basic this one's more complex this is for beginners So if you exercise a lot of control in the track like that, you can really give the audience what it needs and take them on a journey from more simple at the beginning, which is generally how we structure it, and then becoming equally complex or more clinically relevant depending on what the submissions are. So we control the track in the nicest possible way to really accommodate what audiences are looking for. And I think we tried to cohere papers together because sometimes if you submit a symposium, you'll put in two papers and they don't really connect very well. Whereas if I was allowed to separate that symposium up and connect two other papers, we could create a symposium that was more coherent. And that's what we did last year. We did a lot of mixing and matching. And then we structured it and sequenced it in such a way that people who wanted to see certain things could come and see those things.
0: Right. I mean, that's really interesting. One of the things that is coming through from doing these interviews uh, when I ask people about the, the... Broad notion of ACBS conferences is that people talk about the breadth, but so what you're talking about is creating breadth within an RFT track.
1: Yes, exactly. Because I mean, P- RFT is one of those things you don't want to frighten people of it. You don't want you, what you don't want is them to come into the room vaguely interested and get absolutely bamboozled, or get repetitions of be betraying again because everybody's had that. So you, you just want to create a track that. Um, is open to people in the way they want it, you know, beginners for beginners, clinical for clinical, IRAP for IRAppers. And, you know, and for example, last year in the track, we created some panels and some um, symposia that everybody interested in RFT went to it's a sort of cutting edge. If you're really interested in latest RFT stuff, these are the ones that you should go to. And then there were other pieces of the RFT track that were more for beginners, and it was about saying the advanced people, you really do not want to go in and see Lemieux and be trying again. So it was just a way of really allowing for as much diversity, but also trying to get RFT people up on the same page, you know, learning about cutting edge um, you know, learning about the IR app, learning about how the IRAP connects to RFT. So it, it it was as broad as we can get in RFT based on what people had asked us across previous years. People have kept saying, sometimes I go to the RFT track or the RFT papers. I don't know what you're talking about or why, why isn't there more educational stuff or whatever. So over the last couple of years, we tried to respond to that and creating the track was the way to do it.
0: Okay, okay. And I suppose one of the things that you, one might think about a world conference is that it's a way of sort of like checking the pulse of where we're at with certain things. I don't know if it's possible to answer this question briefly, but um, where, where do you think RFT is is at? So what so what's the what's the track likely to be saying about the progress that that, that you know we've made in RFT to date? I
1: think the, the track this year <clears throat> um, will present a new way of thinking about rft that we have never had before we've had about 20 years now of transformation function mutual entailment and they've all done very well we've had plenty of evidence on them they're solid concepts but in the last couple of years we've struggled with clinical issues like how do you explain coherence what does flexibility really mean In therapy, do you focus on networks? Well, how much do you focus on relational responses? What is the role of analogy and metaphor? And to be frank, as RFT stands, it cannot answer any of those. And so one of the things that we've been working on in the Odysseus grant is to try to bring RFT closer to what the concepts that clinicians are looking for, but again, stay out of the sort of middle level term um, uh, difficulties. And so the development of the MDML, um, which has been rumbling now for a couple of years, has been presented a little bit here and there, is coming out in a JCBS special issue. I think we'll be unpacked more at the Seville conference than it has ever been done before, and it will connect with the types of case studies we're working on, the types of clinical videos that we're using. In a way that I don't think CBS or really in any clinical sphere, I don't think we've ever seen such a close connection between basic concepts and clinical intervention. And so that's why we decided to do the pre-con so that we could take two whole days and explain to people. RFT is changing dramatically with the MDML and it's changing. We've created the MDML in order to allow us to broaden out RFT concepts tackle the issues that we need tackled we know coherence is an issue in therapy we know rule following is an issue We've also clinicians know these things and rft does not have a way of talking about these but now it does with the mdml so this i think this year's conference will be groundbreaking for rft
0: could you just explain the acronym you used mdml there
1: mdml is called a multi-dimensional multi-level framework and it's a framework for, for developing RFT. So it basically takes the concepts it already has and asks things like, what is the difference between a relational response and a relational network? What is the relation? How do you connect the IRAP, for example, um, with RFT? So the MDML is a framework that says, if we, if we define concepts like relational coherence, like relational flexibility, um, in an RFT way, let's, ta- let's then take those concepts and let's see if we can do experiments on, them. just like we used to take concepts like mutual entailment and transformation function and did a series of experiments on them. It's exactly the same thing. It's, it's, a, it's a bit like adding to, it's not a revision of RFT because the existing concepts are perfectly fine, but it's an, it's an addition. So it's not like RFT2 or anything like that. It's just RFTs expanding. And this is a framework that seems to allow you to expand, that generates experiments, and that ha- takes concepts that are directly applicable uh, to clinical work.
0: So um, I've had to write this down, but so your precon, the Go RFT workshop, colon, reticulating, open brackets, from the bottom up, close brackets with act. Now, they say RFT is overly complicated. So, 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 so what's, what's that about then? What's this, what's this pre-con going to be about? The
1: pre-con is really um, trying to get people interested in clinical application of RFT into the room and orient them back to basic concepts. What is habituation? Is it relevant to therapy? Does it apply to the type of verbal behavior that we see, the relational behavior that we're interested in? and just start at the basic behavioral concepts. Take those concepts and then build on them. How do they get added to when you start to think about verbal behavior as relational responding? Um, But what we wanted to do from the very beginning, looking at things like habituation, is say, how is it clinically relevant? Do you see habituation? Is habituation a problem? Is lack of habituation a problem? And how does habituation connect patterns of relational responding that are potentially problematic. So we want to unpack the MDML. We want to stay rooted in basic behavioral concepts. And as we do all of that, we want to continually connect to um, clinical phenomena. So we, we don't want to go to this relation spotting way of doing sort of clinical RFT. We want to say, what's the range of concepts that we have in behavioral language and an RFT? how do we understand those concepts and how do we use them in a way that will directly inform therapy. So we'll start at habituation and we'll work through the MDML up through the IRAP in terms of studying relations and flight, looking at the possibility of individual, IRA, uh, uh, individual IRA, individualized IRAPs for therapy and for clinical assessment. And then we will roll into the types of videos that you're aware of, where we really are doing relational or verbal functional analysis in the video. So it really is a genuine bridge building exercise between basic behavioral concepts, basic RFT concepts, what do they mean and how can we use them for clinical purposes? And you really can't do that in less than two days.
0: It strikes me that there's a, a kind of baseline level of, of knowledge in RFT that might be useful if you're going to attend that pre-conference workshop. Um, who would you say that this is targeted at?
1: It would be beneficial to have some level of knowledge of basic behavioural principles and some level of knowledge of RFT because we're not going to grind through mutual entailment, combinatorial entailment, because that takes half a day and a day of itself. I mean, you you could go in there if you didn't know either, but I do genuinely think it would be a struggle for you. Two days would be a long time. If you had some basic knowledge, like having looked at Nicholas's Green Book, we don't have to have read the purple book, but just some basic knowledge of behavioral psychology, like the contextual handbook is quite good for that. And some basic knowledge of RFT then, and, and if you were genuinely interested in an intellectual workout that allows us to help you connect RFT to direct clinical practice, it, th- that's the sort of ideal audience. Ideally as well, you would need to have some clinical experience in there because we will be talking about cutting edge clinical assessments, therapies and videos. And if you were just an RFT person and you've no clinical interest, I don't think this is the workshop for you.
0: Okay, thank you. That's really clear. Uh, thank you very much for the time today. Um, is there anything that you want to you want to say in terms of your Spanish credentials? So, do you do you have a Spanish grandmother that you want to kind of boast about, or there's some expertise in in uh, being in Spain that you want to share with us? Top tips.
1: Well, well, Carmen Luciano is my 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 Spanish mother who who taught me RFT and who taught me act from the very very beginning. She was one of my act supervisors, and I I think you know I'm very proud of the fact that it's it's being held in Carmen's territory because I think she's one of those unsung heroes. I think one because she's female and two because she's not predominantly English speaking. And it's always a, a, a pain for me when I don't see her work get the recognition she is certainly one of CBS's foremost and has always been experimental behavioral psychologists and clinicians. And if if going to Spain honors Carmen's work, then for me that that in and of itself is a really valuable goal. And and the team that she's produced, there are many people like Fran and Miguel, etc. There's a whole raft of people that she's produced in Spain that you know, we don't really see uh, enough of or, or make enough about an uh, ACBS generally. So Spain, the trip to Spain for me recognizes Carmen's incredible input to CBS and and so that's my Spanish grandmother.
0: Fantastic! So uh, a nice tribute to Carmen there. I think it's a lovely way to to round off our interview. So it just remains for me to say uh, Nos vemos en Sevilla.
1: Whatever that means.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll see each other again in Seville.
1: Okay. Take care. You're very welcome.